0: feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.
1: Hi, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Cape Up. On Sunday, before Pete Buttigieg had announced his decision to end his presidential campaign, he was introduced by his husband, Chasten, And just the day before his cheerful words about the impact of his husband's campaign... Chasten sat with me in Columbia, South Carolina. As his parents looked on, the school teacher who left the classroom to campaign for his husband talked about the historic nature of the Buttigieg campaign, what it meant to the LGBTQ community, the insane conversation about whether Pete is gay enough, and why the arts would have been a focus if they'd been lucky enough to live in the White House. Reminder, this conversation took place 24 hours before Buttigieg ended his campaign, but this conversation was too special not to share. Chastin Buttigieg, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, you and Pete Buttigieg, candidate for president of the United States, yeah. um, got ma- you got married in June of 2018. Correct. And then in less than a year, he comes to you and says, Honey, I'm home. I'm thinking of running for president.
2: Almost, just like that. Yeah, he <laughs> set his bags down and proclaimed it from the foyer. Um, yeah, no joke. Uh, he literally came home from, uh, you know, meeting with political advisors and a team and, and trusted friends, and said, you know, this is what we're thinking about. And uh, I told him to go for it. But was
1: that wasn't the first time you you had heard this that he was thinking of of running? It was. Yeah. And so your initial instinct—I mean, of course—you said, "Honey,
2: go for it." But in your gut, hearing that, what did you yeah. think? I know I think back to that moment because you know I—I uh, I think early on in the campaign, I had mentioned off the cuff to a reporter that I, I laughed, um, and and they took it as I was laughing at him, but I was laughing at the reality that my life had changed so dramatically that in the few. Uh, years that we had been together, you know, when I got to Pete, my life was kind of at a low point. I'd kind of given up on love and unfortunately allowed people to love me who didn't deserve to love me. And, you know, I was trying to figure out what to do and started grad school. And then I fall in love with this guy. He's mayor. Then he runs for reelection. Then he runs for DNC chair. And life just quickly and and, and rapidly changed, um, all because I fell in love with, with Pete. And, you know, I was kind of laughing at this moment, like, how did life get me here? Especially because the path to Pete was so bumpy. But I told him to go for it because I love him and I believed in him. And I I truly believe America deserves a president like Pete because he's just focused on people and he's focused on results. And with him, it's so real and I want other people to feel
1: that too. At any point, did it occur to you? Because at that point, he was thirty-seven or thirty-six. When he's it, who, who knows? Well, who knows? So but still, young. so young. But <laughs> at any point, did it pop into your head? What makes this thirty-something-year-old guy think that he could be president of the United States?
2: No, it makes sense. It made complete sense because the conversation has been so. Uh, s- it's just been ripped away from reality, that the conversation in Washington, the conversation I find so often on television is far removed from the reality of everyday Americans. And that's what he's been focused on as mayor in South Bend. I mean, for eight years, he was handling some of the the roughest realities of American cities, especially in a place like South Bend that lost its industry, lost 30,000 people, is on the front lines of uh, many of the realities that American people need to to see change. In America, so that makes sense. Also, someone with a servant leader's heart, like Pete, you know, someone who served this country in the military, and someone who actually understands what's at stake for for Americans in their everyday life, and that should be the focus of the political conversation. It's it's sort of the same thing he was saying when he was running for DNC chair that the presidency is not the only office that matters. It's all of those down ballot races, and the conversation needs to return to the lives of everyday Americans. And so when he was talking about pursuing this election, he so said, go for it, because we need to change the way we talk about people's lives and how politics trickles down into our communities, into our homes, uh, our marriages, right? And and the things that are so important uh, and personal to all of us. And. When you and Pete met, it's
1: wi- widely known and reported, you met through a dating app. Yeah. Um, you had some FaceTime conversations. One of the things that comes up all the time, you even look at the the spoof of, of him on SNL, they, they portray him as a robot stiff, yeah. lacking in emotions. What were those those early conversations with him like? Is, yeah. is the person you were talking to um, before all of this Uh, the person we see on the debate stage or on television or
2: on the campaign trail? Yeah. So anybody who knows me knows I would not marry a robot. (laughs) Um, You know, I I fell in love with Pete because uh, he made me feel so important. Um, And from the very beginning, I had never met someone who was so interested in me and my family and my story and and why I studied uh, the arts. And he wanted to know everything about the kids I was teaching and and the way I saw myself in the world. And, uh, and for me, sitting on the opposite side of someone like Pete, I had so many questions about the way he saw the world and, and all of the things and experiences he had that were so different than mine. And I had never felt like somebody cared so deeply about who Chaston really was. And, and as I had mentioned, um, and I've opened up a little bit about you know, my experience with having people break my heart and unfortunately take advantage of, of loving me. And for someone like Pete, Uh, to come along and not only chip away at that wall that I had built up between my heart and the rest of the world. I mean, he, he took a wrecking ball to it and not only did he make me believe in love again, but he, he really helped me see my importance and my worth. Uh, And that's not robotic. It's deeply loving. I I
1: was struck by your use of the the phrase uh, took a wrecking ball. Um, That just sort of seems dissonant in a good
2: way yes Uh,
1: how how did that wrecking ball manifest itself
2: well because um i think pete could sense very early on that i was very hesitant to to being loved and i think pete i know pete um fell in love with me uh you know early on and i think he sensed something in me that i didn't want to To share my vulnerabilities and it's hard to put into words but he he made me feel safe and he made me feel like it was okay to open up about those things and okay to be honest about um you know all of the things that shaped me for better for worse into the person that i was the person who was sitting across the table from him uh and did you not believe it did you not believe it was real at, Meaning, at like, first he, it was a fairy tale. It really he, was.
1: Right. Like, Here's this person who, like, this can't possibly be real. This can't yeah. possibly uh, go on. Yeah. Because it was too good to be true.
2: Yeah. And, you know, especially when you, oh my gosh, you go on so many bad dates with, with people who are so accustomed to being self-absorbed in their power and their worth and, you know, their status. And then you meet someone like Pete who. Uh, you know, had a lot of great accomplishments. And and you're sitting across from somebody who, you know, at age 29 was elected mayor and is a Rhodes Scholar and, you know, has this beautiful home on the river in, in South Bend, Indiana that he's restoring. And for me, you know, I was living in this, uh, you know, bed bug infested apartment in Chicago, renting it out on an Airbnb and, you know, working three jobs and trying to work my way through grad school. And, and in a way, society makes you feel like that means you didn't make it and you're worthless and and you don't have much to provide and and Pete saw the exact opposite, and he was so fascinated with how you know I continuously pushed forward, and he was so interested in my parents, which to me meant a lot because my parents are the hardest working people I know, and uh, he was so interested in my family's story and you know where they came from, and was fascinated with my my dad's story and it uh, just made me feel like, wow, this person actually cares about me and where I come from. And it made it very easy to open up about the things that I was scared to share with other people, even even the reality of being embarrassed about having student debt. Like, I was a first-generation college student. I got my way through college. It was hard. Um, and I graduated with a lot of student debt. And I felt really embarrassed because, you know, if you make it, then that means you're, you know, set up for success. I made it out, but then I also made it out with, with this thing that I was so embarrassed of, and and you know Pete made me just feel like, yeah, you you got a raw deal. People told you to go to school. You went to school. You did the thing, but that's not how the system's structured, and that's okay because you decided to go into education, and we need more teachers, right? And that made me feel better about the choices that I had made. And as a part of this this
1: campaign, so now it's been more than a, it's been more than a year, year and a half of like, yeah. officially running for For President, yeah what kinds of things have you learned about yourself through <laughs> this process? because this just as an observer, it looks hard, so I can only imagine as a participant how hard it is
2: um, to talk about what it's been like, what you've learned. Yeah, I mean early on you've, you feel like, how could I possibly? You know, fit in this conversation. I'm a school teacher. I, you know, I don't know what it's like to be wrapped up in presidential politics. And you go out there and you realize, people just want to know they're cared about. And for so long in my life, I wanted to know that I was cared about, right? Um, from when I came out of the closet, wondering if I was, you know, going to be accepted in this country, to trying to make it as a school teacher, uh, wondering if I was going to be successful in that way as well. And across the country, you just feel that people are wondering. Um, do I really fit in? Do I belong in this country? Does this country stand for me? Does this country believe in me? And am I going to be okay? And, you know, I I have realized throughout the year that I'm pretty good at connecting with people because in many ways people are just sharing the same reality that I've had for so long that, gosh, I wish Washington reflected the better parts of America and actually spoke up for for people across this country and truly cared about how politics affects our everyday lives. And so you go out there and you meet these people who aren't focused on, you know, what's happening on television and and the ups and the downs and the conversation on Twitter. They're focused on the choices that people are making and how it's, it's making them worse off, right? And I know what it's like to watch somebody in your family struggle uh, with the healthcare system. My mom was diagnosed with cancer when I was in high school, and she's still battling cancer. And I know what it feels like to watch somebody that you love Grapple with that system, and now I'm traveling the country and meeting thousands of people every day who have such similar stories to mine, and you can look them in the eye and say, I know, I've been there, I feel that. That is the reality in my family as well, and we're going to change that, and we're going to be there for you. How do you deal
1: w- with that, with people, strangers, from every part of the country coming up to you and sharing some of the most intimate details that they might not even share with their closest friends how do you how do you deal with that how do you handle that yeah
2: well it says a lot about the campaign that people feel safe enough to share that uh, and and their vulnerabilities you know you'll be working a rope line and pe- someone will give you a big hug and be like you know my mom is is battling cancer as well, and I came out in high school as well, and I'm a first-generation college student, and I see so much of myself in you. And you realize, like, wow, all of these things that I've been scared of or ashamed of or keep so locked and hidden inside are just the realities of millions of other people around the country, and what a gift to be able to, to, to look at them and say, I know, I feel that too, and I know it can be hard, but we're going to get this right, and that's why we're in this, because I know exactly what it feels like uh, in the shoes that you're standing in. And it can be hard, you know, day in, day out. Sometimes we're in three, four states a day, and and people are putting that all on you. But for so long, I wish someone had come along and said, let me help you carry it. And then I met Pete, and that's what Pete said, that I know it's heavy. I know it's hard. Give me some of that heavy stuff. Let me help you carry it. And now that's what this campaign is like, is going out there and looking people in the eye and saying, I know it can be hard, and I know there's a lot of heavy stuff, but that's why we're here, too. Cause we're going to help you carry the heavy stuff. Do
1: you ever just go to a quiet place and just break
2: down? Sure. After I mean, to... I, I think my like going to a happy place and going to a breakdown place are a little different, but um, it is getting harder to go to target, but target is a happy place. Like I want to turn the world off and just like walk down the candle aisle or like look at hand soaps, right? Like I just want to do something normal uh, <laughs> that that used to be so routine. And now, you know, I don't get to do these things anymore. And then, yes, I, I make sure that I invite friends out on the trail, or when we're in cities, uh, that I have friends that I, I can, you know, stay with them instead of staying at a hotel. And there's nothing like, you know, curling up on the couch uh, with somebody who knows you, uh, and uh, just kind of unwinding a little bit and slipping back into you know, taking a deep breath, let your shoulders fall down and realize that you can't carry it alone. And sometimes uh, the best way to to move forward is to surround yourself with people who are there to help you through this process, especially family, especially your friends. I should I should point out because they're sitting
1: just feet from us. Your, pa- your parents <laughs> yeah. are here, yes. which was a great was a great surprise. To see, and I looked over a couple times, and <laughs> they like proud, proud parents, especially uh-huh. especially your mom, who's like looking over and s- nodding <laughs> and smiling. Um, in um, the Washington Post profile that was done that was done on you, they pointed out that you wrote a letter mm-hmm. to, your, rather than. Do what I did, which was moved yeah. from my mother into asking me if I was gay. <laughs> you, wrote no, a, you wrote, "I wasn't a that skilled."
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you,
1: you wrote a letter mm-hmm. um, to your to your family c- coming out. What mm-hmm. did it say?
2: I don't know. I don't know. Um, I remember in that moment feeling so ashamed because we just didn't grow up in a time or a place like Northern Michigan where it was okay to be different and and it wasn't my parents my parents were deeply loving people but also when you're a teenager you know the way you're thinking about that issue is not like well my parents love me unconditionally so surely they're going to be fine with it it's society keeps telling me that i am a failure i am a disappointment i'm a disgrace i'm going to break the hearts of my family so I, i better get out before i break their break their heart and it's because I think I loved them so much that I was so embarrassed that I might embarrass them. Um, And it's very hard to, you know, at the time I thought it'd be very hard to look them in the face and say, I'm about to destroy all the dreams that you had for me for 18 years. Um, And I'm about to, you know, embarrass you in front of our family and your friend group. So I just, I just ran. I was going to say,
1: is that the reason why you just, you left?
2: Yeah, because I I truly felt like I would lose everything. And so rather than stick around, I just felt like it would be better if I just disappeared, which was wrong. I mean, I got to go home because uh, mom reached back out and knew that it was hard and invited me to come back home. Um, they knew that I was um, sleeping on friends' couches and kind of bouncing around and was pretty unstable. And mom told me to come home. And it's not because my parents were embarrassed of me is because they were so scared for me because they knew that the world was not there yet and they knew it was going to be very hard. And I'm very lucky that I got to go home. I got to go back to a family that was there for me, who who knew that um I had a lot of uphill battles ahead of me. Not every kid gets that. And that's why I'm out here on the trail doing the work every day. That's why I visited over 100 LGBTQ centers and homeless service providers. Um, in part because I want to make sure I'm giving back and speaking up for all of the kids who feel like nobody's speaking up for them. Um, and, you know, 40% of kids who are sleeping on the street tonight identify as LGBTQ. And I feel like sometimes the conversation gets so drawn away from them. You know, the other day I was in Little Rock, Arkansas. Sitting at a table with uh, some, some teenagers, two who identify as trans, and listening to their story. That they didn't get to go home. They didn't get to go back to mom and dad. Mom and dad pushed them out. Now they're trying to finish a GED, but they had to leave high school because the violence and the bullying was so bad. They can't find um, employment that makes them feel safe uh, or accepted when they try to find housing. Um, because they're, they're housing insecure, that they'll maybe find a bed in a shelter and then they get pushed out of the shelter because the shelter doesn't want them there. And there's literally millions of kids in this country who are wondering where they even fit, let alone trying to figure out how to get an education and where to find a safe place to lay their head at night. Um, and I feel like part of the responsibility of this historic campaign is to show up and do the work as well.
1: I, this anticipates a question that I was going to ask about the LGBTQ community across the country. What ha, have you learned things about the community that you didn't already know
2: as a member of it? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like I said, I, now that I've gone to hundreds of centers around the country, the experience of LGBTQ Amer- Americans can look vastly different depending on what community you're in. When we were down in Houston, we were learning the stories of black trans women who were essentially uh, climate refugees because they had to leave uh, their city because of hurricanes, came into Houston and then were being pushed out of shelters, being told that uh, they were unwelcome there. They had to wear the clothing and sleep in the dormitory uh, of the sex that identified on their, on their identification uh, in America. Uh, or we were, you know, in New York meeting with Uh, LGBTQ seniors who are just wondering where there's going to be safe, inclusive uh, place to retire and and to live out your final years Uh, or different from when we were in Tulsa, Oklahoma. uh, And the center in downtown Tulsa is in a former bomb factory because nobody wanted that real estate. And they had been pushed out of multiple locations trying to build the center in downtown Tulsa, but nobody wanted the bomb factory So they took over the bomb factory, and the remarkable thing about their story is they receive no federal funding, no city funding. Um, It's all privately funded, but during tornado season, they're one of the best shelters in downtown because (laughs) it's a bomb factory. So they're literally sheltering the people who are refusing to support them. And their experience is very different from what the experience is in the Castro Very different what the experience is uh, for kids in Texas and Nevada and even here in South Carolina. Uh, There is this insane
1: conversation Mm -hmm. going on Mm -hmm. within the LGBT community, within our community, um, asking the question, is Mayor Pete gay enough? And there are even people who are asking if he's really gay and I asked Mayor Pete about that in, the, in the, the, the podcast, just flat out asked him, are you gay? And he looked at me like I had 12 heads. <laughs> He's like, well, yeah. And I asked him what you thought about that. And he said, he didn't want to speak for you. Hmm. So I want you to speak for you. How does it make you feel to have the LGBT community, our community,
2: question
1: the, the very essence of your husband?
2: I mean, when you're running a historical campaign, you're always going to have, you know, detractors or or the naysayers. uh, And that's why I'm so focused on the work. I don't get myself wrapped up in what people are saying about me or my husband on social media or on television because I find so much purpose and good out of going out there and showing up for those kids, especially in the way I wish somebody was showing up for me. And it's very important that you not only talk the talk, but you walk the walk. And that's why I have made such a huge part of my visibility on this campaign, going out uh, and visiting these centers and listening to people's story because people need to know that you're going to actually show up for them. And a lot of that work for me isn't showing up and saying, hey, I'm the husband of the gay candidate. Uh, It's showing up and saying, I represent my husband, Pete Buttigieg, uh, and I want to hear from you what you need to see in a president because I'm sure for you... You have felt repeatedly like this country doesn't believe in you, doesn't stand for you. And even when somebody gets to the White House, they're not going to do either of those things. So I'm here to tell you before we even get there that you will have an ally in the White House. But now I need to hear from you what you need from the president and what you need from a Buddha judge administration. We have the backs of American educators making sure And an arts teacher. Let's be clear, you're, you're a drama teacher. Yes, I taught 7th and 8th grade, most recently English, social studies, okay. and drama. Um, but I I have been in schools and I have heard firsthand from thousands of teachers uh, who need to know that uh, this, this president and this administration is going to have their back. I've also been at, at Peter's side as he spent a lot of time with the veterans community making sure that... Uh, they know that they will have a commander-in-chief who truly supports the troops. I look forward to helping him in any way I can that way. But for me, I think an interesting platform that, that we should pursue is one based on arts education, making sure that every kid in this country, no matter what your zip code is or what your ability is, you have access to equitable arts education because so often arts education is left to the, the, the white kids in the rich suburbs, right? And I want to make sure that every kid in this country has access to arts education, because I believe it truly has the ability uh, to, to help students become compassionate, empathetic, creative learners. They, they not only learn how to um, communicate Uh, creatively and empathetically, but they can look at another human being and think about their position in the world as well. So the way our education system is going, we're focusing a lot on on STEM education, which is important because that's the way our economy is going. But if we're only focusing on mathematics uh, and science and technology, then in a way we're, we're building robots, and we're not building human beings. And I believe the arts and the humanities have the ability to help Uh, students become well-rounded learners. And that is so important, especially, I mean, look at today's political climate. People are barely able to look one another in the eye and talk about the things that they disagree on. And I have seen tremendous growth in my own students, not in the English classroom, but in the drama classroom. And I want to make sure every kid has uh, that experience in this country.
1: Am I correct in remembering that you once said
2: that the arts saved your life? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my drama teacher in high school truly created a safe space for me. And then I I blossomed in theater. I mean, I I learned so much about myself. I felt like I had true talent uh, and I was capable of really big things. Uh, And that's why I went on to study theater in college and then went into theater education. And then even when I was right out of undergrad in Milwaukee working for First Stage, one of the nation's premier children's theaters, we were crafting curriculum for students on the autism spectrum. And it was when I truly saw... Uh, a real power in theater to bring people together uh, and to and to just change the lives uh, of children, especially in that program. children who had never been exposed to the arts were never given a chance and I want to make sure every kid gets that chance um, you
1: said you you felt you had the talent
2: did did you not want to pursue
1: a like a Broadway career? Like be in one of Richie or Jordan's shows. <laughs> Richie
2: Jackson or Jordan, yeah. Jordan Roth, Richie who was on the podcast a few weeks ago. I wish I had that talent. I mean, uh I can't sing and dance, so we don't we don't need that. But um <laughs> no, I in college I started to discover uh theater education and then the the use of drama for discussion, uh, and was fascinated by that, that we could bring people into the theater. Uh, people who were not drama students. We could bring them in. We could put them into a quote-unquote drama uh, and have them tackle real-world issues through the use of theater, and that fascinated me, uh, and that's why I went on uh, to to study more creative drama and then outside of undergrad uh, was more interested in theater education than performance. Sounds like, given what you just said,
1: two um... – Former first ladies come to mind mm-hmm. the first one who comes to mind is Jacqueline Kennedy mm-hmm. who um, if you, if Mayor Pete is successful and becomes president, you and Jacqueline Kennedy are about the same age when she came in the White House yeah. um, and uh, the other person who comes to mind is is Michelle Obama two people who who thought about the arts, brought the arts into into the White House have you sort of actively looked to them as role models or this is something that is just out of your
2: core? Yeah. Well, this is, yeah, this is my, it is my course, my nature, but, um, and I, that's very flattering that you would say both of those people. I do, uh, reach to Michelle Obama's book quite often. I reread it, uh, especially when my thumb is, um, itching to go to Twitter. I, I switch it over to the Kindle app and, uh, go read a chapter and just remind myself that somebody has been in these shoes. But um, I, I do believe that the arts and the humanities have a way to bring people together. And so often they're just regarded as fluff and extras. I've, I've taught in schools where, uh, theater classes, like theater and music is, are on the schedule as extras or specials. Mm-hmm. Uh, they should be core curriculum. Uh, and, and it's always the first thing that gets cut. You rarely see football get cut the football program get cut. But the the theater department's always the first thing that's up for budget cuts because we don't value them enough. And I think if you're at the top, you get to talk about the things that have value. And so I look forward to pushing an agenda on arts and the humanities because they truly have value, especially at this moment in our country's history. How much are you looking forward to being a father? A lot. It's uh, something that uh, Peter and I uh, were – We're definitely looking forward to. Um, It's not the right time right now, you know. Uh, It would be unfair to a kid right now, but I can't wait. I I really can't wait. And I can't wait to see Pete as a dad because uh, I just know that he has so many gifts to share that I don't. uh, And I think um, it'll be really special. One, two, three, six. (laughs) Uh, Goodness. We'll start with one. Um, (laughs) and and then go from there. But my, my parents raised three boys uh, and they made it look easy. So who knows? (laughs) Your dad just said, yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, final question. And this is a question I love, um, asking folks and I do not get a chance to ask it a lot, but you're fun. You're hosting a dinner. Thank you. You're hosting a dinner party. Sure. You have, uh, you have five seats. You're the sixth seat and Pete can't come. Uh, who shows up? Who do you invite? And it could be anyone living living or dead. Oh,
2: God. I'm getting so used to answering questions about, like, climate policy. Like, this <laughs> is a, um, I told
1: you this was fun.
2: Yeah. Well, right now, truthfully, I just want my friends. Uh, I just want to be around my friends and family. Um, but uh, if, we're, if we're playing the game. Um, let's see. Okay, so your mom and dad. So that's <laughs> So that's three seats left. <laughs> Let's see. If it's a, if it's a hypothetical dinner yeah. party with uh, famous people. Um, okay, well, I have a lot of questions for Michelle Obama. Uh, so uh, okay. she's invited. Um, I grew up loving—you're not allowed to laugh. Okay, I, I'm, I'm waiting. Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> I have a lot of questions for Jimmy Buffett. Um, have you met him yet? I did get to meet him okay. briefly, uh, but it wasn't an opportunity to be like— I grew up on your music. I love you so much. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, have you met Michelle Obama yet? I met her at the white house Christmas party years ago, but I have not gotten to, uh, yeah. Okay. see here face to face. Um, and that's a story for a different time. Okay. Maybe I'll write a book one day because, or you can just come back and tell me, I'll have you back <laughs> back on. Okay. So who do we got? Michelle, Michelle got Obama, Jimmy. Jimmy Buffett. Okay. Um, one more goodness. seat. Oh my goodness. Oh, cause mom and dad are there. Yes. Okay. Um, Oh, there's so many people I want to in- introduce uh mom to. Goodness. Uh someone from Broadway, Hollywood. Oh
1: my gosh. This is hard. N- music. Other than Jimmy Buffett, I'm thinking like classical music as an opera singer, athlete. Um Audrey McDonald would be great. Oh, yeah.
2: uh, she's invited. Okay. I hope she I hope she RSVPs. <laughs> um Goodness, I don't know. You also want to get like really people with vastly different backgrounds, right? Cause then you have interesting, uh, dinner table conversation. Um, but that would be fun. Uh, just a, an interesting group of people, right? Like let's throw Lizzo into the mix. Okay. If, if she'll come along. Um, I don't know. I think it's important to have your parents there because my parents have, you know, they just, they got me so far. So I don't know. Mom, who do you want to meet? Oh, mom wants to meet Elton John. So Elton John is in Elton John as well. As well. Okay. Please send out the the dinner table request and and let me know when they get back to us. Did you ask this question of Pete? I did not. Oh. Well, who would he have said? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like our questions, our answers are going to be very different. I should have have asked. Extremely different, right? He's going to have like some like Scandinavian explorer that I don't know about and, you know, James Baldwin and uh, like who else is – He always read it, you know, like some like Norwegian poet, like he'll in the original Norwegian, (laughs) right. And and the dinner table (laughs) conversation will only be in Norwegian. Yeah. (laughs) God love him.
1: Chasten Buttigieg. Thank you very, very much for coming on the podcast.
2: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ.
0: Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about. In your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one.